This is Adventures in Sound at the Premises Studios. Hello and welcome to episode three of Adventures in Sound brought to you by Folded Wing at the Premises Studios here in East London. Once a month we delve inside the studio doors and bring you stories from the creatives and musicians who call this place home. We also bring you bonus content, catching up with some of our favourite artists to discuss their musical adventures so far. Make sure you check out the episode with cellist and singer Izzy Dunn after this. You're listening to Adventures in Sound. Adventures in Sound. This month, it's all about one of the most significant adventures in any musician's career, touring. The Premises has long been a home for performers from all over the world, a halfway house as they transition from bedroom to stage. In this episode, I wanted to discover some of the more unusual aspects of putting together a live show and hear from three very different points of view. A tour manager, a live engineer and, of course, an artist. So first of all, I spoke to live sound mixer and touring bassist for Iggy Pop, Ben Ellis, who began by explaining the role of the engineer. Adventures in Sound. Well, I suppose in for in sort of layman's terms, uh, when you go to a concert, um, most of the time you're you're focused on the stage. Um, but if you turn around, there'll probably be somewhere towards the back of the room on a riser somewhere, a sort of grumpy-looking man or woman stood in front of a thing with a lot of flashing lights and knobs on it, and um, that person will be mixing the show. Do you think it gives you a bit more sensitivity as an engineer the fact that you're also, you know, a live musician and you have experience playing? Such it, big it helps uh, probably more if you're doing monitors, which is the on-stage sound for the band. It, it really helps with communicating with musicians and uh, and knowing what they need to to hear. At what point do you get involved? Like, do you come to the premises while bands are rehearsing that you're about to go on tour with? Ideally, yeah, you'd want to do some pre-production with the band, and also a, a lot of it, um, kind of what you're doing in terms of deciding how the whole thing sounds like do you want it to sound uh, open sounding or quite 70s or do you want it to have a whatever kind of feel to it it's a, a kind of discuss, discussion you need to have with the musicians it's like when you were writing this what did you have in mind like you know like if you put a massive like Guns N' Roses like gated reverb on a snare drum in like a folk band it's not going to work and you need to kind of get to know people it's just like getting to know like, if you're buying clothes for someone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that sort of similar kind of thing, like you know. So, can you tell me uh, a little bit about some of the shows you've worked on as an engineer that have been really memorable for you? Uh, the biggest one, um, which came about in a really cool way, was with Courtney Burnett. And um, at the time, I was the technical manager at a place called Ace Hotel over on Shoreditch, and they have a venue in the basement there that holds about sort of two, three hundred people. And Courtney came in with a band before they'd really done anything, they were just over from Australia. We had a really great night, Uh, we all kind of got along, we were into the same kind of music. And then they went off on tour in Europe and at the time they didn't have the budget to take an engineer with them. But when they came back they were booked to play at, um, it was just when they were starting to really break big and they were booked to play at Alexandra Palace, uh, supporting Metronomy and they asked me to come and mix that show. And um, it was a bit of a daunting experience. I mean, I was really thrilled to be asked because I loved the band and I loved the music. You can, as an engineer, sometimes you have a little kind of almost like a love affair with a band. You really fall in love with what they're doing. And with them, it was definitely that.
I'd never done a show that big, but it was it went really well, you know, in a lot of those kind of situations you just kind of have to forget this is however many thousand people or you know I think your first reaction sometimes if the band starts playing and you've had a short sound check or a line check and everything sounds horrible you're, it's quite easy to kind of freeze uh, but you you need to really be objective and go okay the first thing I'm going to fix is the vocal because that's what everyone's listening to and then within half a song it sounds you know like you pulled a mix together but that it was slightly daunting but it ended up being a really great show have there ever been, from an engineering point of view, again, any sort of major fuck-ups that you've encountered, either instigated by you or by someone else? And how, how uh, is it? I, yeah. You don't yeah. like to dwell? <laughs> Everyone has them. Uh, oh, yeah, there was one really funny thing that happened. When I was the technical manager at Hoxton Bar and Kitchen, it's like a little 300-cap venue in Hoxton Square, and um, the band that were playing that night were, um, you know, Godspeed You, Black Emperor. Mm-hmm. It was one of the guys from that, some of the people from that band, but it, it was really, like, it's quite serious music. I mean, it's great, but it's very serious music. And uh, they brought their own engineer, so I was actually doing lights for this band. Now, I'm not a lighting guy. I mean, I knew sort of how to flash a few lights, but they were very specific. They were kind of like, during the songs, we don't want any flashing lights. Maybe if you feel creative, like, just change the colour of the wash every song and um, so I, I did that and then they, they went off at the end and it was all like people sitting on the floor it was very sort of civilised very serious you know really focused on the music it was all kind of acoustic stuff and um, then they came back out to do the encore and in Hoxton like the sound desk is kind of in front of you when you're facing the stage and then the lighting desk because sometimes you have to do both at once so the lighting desk is just on the right there so it's really tight if there's two of you to get in there and their uh, front of house guy in the middle of like the most intimate moment of their encore, turned around and caught with his elbow the fader that put the entire lighting rig into like the full like Studio 54 disco inferno lighting thing and that just sort of started happening and I was looking the other way at the time and I just kind of heard this sort of <gasps> from the crowd and looked around and was like whoa fucking hell it's like John Travolta's about to walk in any second and then like for the next five, I mean it felt like about five years but for the next five seconds, I was going, how the fuck did I stop this? And then eventually it stopped and everyone was just like absolutely horrified. Luckily, it was his elbow. It wasn't mine. Yeah, they, they'll never forget my face. They'll be like, I'll be like disco guy. Like, yeah. Well, maybe when they have, you know, their disco concept album, they can come to you. That's it. Yeah, when they start doing cruise ships in <laughs> yeah. the 60s, I'll, I'll be there. That's yeah. depressing. So you play bass as well with some guy called Iggy Pop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's it like touring with him? I mean, you must play some amazing venues. Yeah. I mean, they're all big shows. I guess at the beginning, I mean, we've been his band for three years now. And at the start, it was a bit like, wow, all the time. But I don't mean to sound arrogant because I'm not at all. You know, I, I really, it's a gift, that gig. It's really an amazing gig to do. But you kind of get used to it. You're just on a festival stage and it could be like 80,000, it could be 20,000. It's just heads. I'm on a break into your heart And follow Till I get under your skin and the wall comes tumbling down And you finally let me in I break into your 
And you were the studio manager here at Premises for quite a few years. Yeah. Uh, I heard you worked in the night shift quite a bit yeah. as well. Do you, yeah. Have you got any stories from... from we were just talking... Uh, Tony just let me in. Tony's one of the other managers here. Um, he was the guy that actually gave me the job. And yeah, we had a thing on... Um, Sunday nights. Sunday night was movie night, and once we got everyone into the studio, we just turned all the lights off and watched horror movies. And there was another night. I, I'd, I think I was watching some horror film. He said it was the thing. I don't think it was a thing, but um, you know, there's like a lift that comes down right opposite reception. And at the time, they had this really massive, like potted plant on the top floor that looked a bit like a triffid. And I, I, so I was sitting watching this horror movie, and then I heard the lift coming down, and Tony the bastard they'd put this massive plant in the lift and when the door opened that i really thought it was like this monster <laughs> and he said he said he could hear me screaming on the second floor <laughs> and we were talking about that a minute ago when I came in, yeah. cool well thanks so much ben alice for coming into chat to us thanks. really good to talk yeah, to you yeah thank you this is adventures in sound at the premises studios It was great to meet Ben Ellis. He has some really good stories, as you can hear, both from working as a live engineer and musician and also from working here at the Premises Studios. Next, we're going to hear from Paul Bond, tour manager for the likes of Cat Stevens, Jeff Beck and Goldfrapp. The Adventures in Sound team managed to corner him while he was prepping Jessie Ware for her recent radio commitments and hear all about what it's like to work on the live scene with some of the biggest names around. Adventures in Sound. So, yeah, I'm a tour manager for rock and pop bands and my job differs with each artist. So it's it's difficult to sum up what I do, but roughly speaking, um, I would be involved from the very beginning of an, an album campaign if the artist is a, a recording artist. And uh, we would be looking through the promo pro, um, programme before the album is released. So all the promo activity that goes to obviously promote the artist and then into live touring. Today we're, we're here in the premises rehearsing for well, a number of things really. We've been here for three days, so we're rehearsing for both Joe Wiley and Live Lounge. What my forte is, is making sure that everything happens so that the band and Jesse can perform really smoothly with no worries about anything. So they just arrive, they perform and go home and they go, that was an easy gig, wasn't it? great depending on the artist and where they are in their career for example I've just left uh, use of Cat Stevens this year for the first time since 2011 and when he tours he tours in a particular way he he enjoys he's at a stage of his career where he can enjoy his uh, his touring so we do three shows a week and it's on a private jet and it's very nice some other bands are not quite so fortunate or at that stage of their career so could be easy jet instead of private jet. So uh, it, it just depends on the artist you're working for and where they are really in the on the curve. Um, but yeah, you do get to see some great places, but just not for very long. So Hawaii, for example, I fly in. Um, I, I arrive 24th, show 25th, leave for New York on the 26th. 
I'll see. I'll have an afternoon maybe where I can see the beach. Just recently, I did a gig. Um, it's it's a sad one, really. Uh, did a show last year, this time last year in LA, uh, with Yusuf Cat Stevens and Chris Cornell came on stage, and they sang a couple of numbers together. Unfortunately, as you know, Chris died uh, a month or so ago, and his manager rang me up before and said, you know, have you worked with Chris Cornell before? And I went, uh, no, haven't. No. He said, well, he's a nightmare. Yeah, he's he's, he's so demanding. For me, anyway, he was absolutely the opposite. He was just a real gent, and it was a real pleasure meeting him. Everything was easy, and we had a diet coke together afterwards. Proper rock and roll. He was just a pleasure to meet, and one of the standout moments of the last couple of years. Surreal moments, yeah. There's been, again, there's been a few where, where I was working with Jeff Beck, seeing him and all his guitar mates get together and just jam and stuff in soundcheck. It's pretty special. When I first started working with him, um, uh, one of my colleagues on the tour bus said, um, "Paul, come here, come here." What was he doing? Mate, just close your mouth a little bit. And I, I, li I was literally watching him noodle on his practice guitar on the bus with my mouth wide open, going. It's just incredible what he can do, you know. So, yeah, he's a lovely, lovely guy and um, an extremely talented musician. Yeah, it's just another, um, another great person I've worked with. It sounds great, doesn't it? But um, it's really long days, and um, we never get enough sleep. And um, yeah, I, I advise anybody coming into the industry is uh, eat when you can, drink when you can, and sleep when you can, because. You, you never know when it's you can miss the next day's sleep. You know, it could be a, a you know. For example, we got a, we got a couple of heavy days coming up in New York where we've got a three a.m. load in for a TV program, um, and that will then finish at about eleven o'clock in the morning. And then we go straight into a, to load into a show the same day in New York. So it, you know, it's we'll finish that show maybe load out one o'clock in the morning. There's always different sides to touring. There's, there's how the crew are and how they behave. And then there's how the band are and how they behave. Because that's sometimes different. Because the band have a different time clock to crew. So um, a lot of band members won't wake up until the afternoon. Um, in fact, I worked with a band just recently where the bass player woke up at soundcheck. That's when he woke up. That's that was his day. That was the beginning of his day, where the rest of us have to be in for a, an early morning loading. Um, so, so they're, they're they're differing, differing social patterns between band and crew. And then the artist are, again is different. You know, but Jessie, for example, she's a she's a young mum. So next year we will tour with with her family. So her husband's coming on tour and her baby's coming on tour. We've got a separate tour bus for them. 
Um, so um, there'll be like the family bus and then there'll be the band bus. It's the way that we have to make it work for her and her family. Thanks so much to Paul Bond. Fascinating to hear his perspective on working with some true musical greats. I especially liked his uh, good advice there about making sure you get sleep while you can. Obviously, that doesn't really apply to musicians who just wake up when the sound check is happening. But there you go. Next up, I spoke to DJ, producer and electronic music titan Flux Pavilion about how he managed to develop his sound and visuals from basement studio to thousands of ravers. Adventures in Sound. So we're at the premises studio today uh, where you're rehearsing your show for yeah. uh, Electric Bricks in. Mm-hmm. What do the rehearsals involve? Especially because I'm curious because primarily you're a DJ. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd, I'd say a producer. Okay, I okay. Like, I write songs. Okay. And then they're so uh, electronic and yeah. unreal that there's no way to really perform them other than as a DJ, okay. essentially. But then the live show was a conversation with a friend of mine about five or six years ago being like we could do this there is a way of us recreating the sound of flux pavilion with room for improvisation basically and then so we basically just did it to experiment with equipment and stuff like that and then as the years have gone on it's got better and better we did sw4 last year and it worked really well so we thought let's do another one basically So when you're rehearsing it, like when you say you're kind of using equipment or instruments and stuff like that, like what have you incorporated into the show? Well, it's basically we've taken the projects, the songs and devised like the prime elements. And then because it's all kind of done digitally, we can take an instrument and just put it on a keyboard or on a keytar or something like that. Our bassist has got a MIDI bass guitar that's uh what you bought off square pusher a few, like a few years ago it was so yeah it's like his real interesting electronic bass where the pick is made of metal and when he puts his finger on a fret and then he touches the string it reads a circuit from the length of where his finger the fret wow. to, to the pick basically which then triggers a midi note we can cut up audio so that he's basically replaying the exact audio and then we can take sounds from the song and put them on keyboards and on the keytar, the other guy. So then we're recreating like what the song actually sounds like. And then I've got guitar and we've got live drums as well, so then we can build on top of it. And by having all the parts separate, we can mix songs together. So we've kind of treated the show like a DJ set, where there's about four or five songs mixed together. But rather than having to clang the songs together, because we have all the elements separately, we can lay the bass from one and bring the vocal in and bring this other sound in so it's kind of more of a seamless mix amazing which is yeah just makes it interesting
So you also, uh, your live shows are known for having amazing <coughs> light aspect to them. Oh, right, yeah. How do you put the light shows together? Is that your work? Do you collaborate with someone? I found this guy, worst company called Wolves, and two dudes from India. And just we had a few conversations just about what we might want to put together. And we kept stopping talking about the show because we were talking too much about Sonic or Final Fantasy <coughs> or anime or painting models and just loads. there's loads of stuff that we really connected with and that for me is what I always want my show to be I want it to be a reflection a not obvious visual reflection of what I like kind of thing so let's say I'm into uh, Pokemon for me it's not about having Pokemon on the screen it's about having something on the screen that subtly reminds you of it but looks completely different and you can only get that when you've got a human being that completely gets gets what you're all about and when you're sort of conceptualizing the the uh the light show um you mentioned pokemon so let's just use that as an example like do, there do is you... no pokemon in my set <laughs> I, couldn't That's think, a shame. I couldn't, couldn't think of anything to hear that. but yeah well let's just take pokemon as an example <clears throat> so would you is it that you would say oh this particular track reminds me of pokemon let's do something like is it does the is is it sort of tightly in tandem with the actual tracks or is the light show just a different <coughs> element of the show uh, um, kind of of its own validity? It's aesthetic, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's like an atmosphere and aesthetic. There's something that I'm trying to capture with my set and with my songs, basically. Like a lot of my songs, the really epic ones, to me, really hark. Or they, yeah, they sort of scream... Lord of the Rings and <laughs> an epic battle and this sort of really huge sprawling fantasy universe like <clears throat> that to me is where my heart goes when I'm writing the music so when I say yeah having someone understand someone that that aesthetic means as much to them as it does to me and then when I'm like I want this bit to be the epic fantasy world and they're like I got you <laughs> and you trust them because yeah. you know because they, they live and breathe it in, in the same kind of way yeah. But what we did for this show, we had one of my favourite comic book artists from over in Vancouver. He made the artwork and created this vision of a world where, yeah, a world of Flux Pavilion, which is the, the artwork then inspired the whole movement of Flux Pavilion, which was Flux Pavilion's a, a wizard, basically. And uh, I am a wizard. I'm not, not <laughs> at the moment. I can see that. I'm not in wizard garb <laughs> at the moment. Slightly wizardy. But um, yeah, the idea being that sound is uh, sounds like an incredibly powerful thing. I'm sure we all we all believe. I can see you've got earplugs around your neck. Yeah, <laughs> it, but it's like it's invisible. Uh, I've always been quite fascinated with the fact that sound is this like invisible force that has an incredible amount of power over human beings. And you can make someone cry, you can make someone laugh, you can make someone physically move with something that you can't actually. It is isn't tangible mm. in space and it's always around us at all times there's sound in your environment and there's sound there but when you're listening to music it's the environment goes to the background and the sound comes to the forefront and the flux pavilion kind of world is about that entirely but it's stepping into reality and having sound completely taken over reality so all of existence steps to the background and the existence where sound is like completely powerful steps to the forefront and that's the world that you're stepping into mm-hmm. when you come to a Flux Pavilion show basically and the artwork and my character are all kind of parts 
yeah, a sort of a window into this universe. And we set the stage up with loads of inflatables. And we set the venue up with inflatables when the venue was big enough. So there was all inflatables above the crowd and on the stage and kind of creating the atmosphere where when you walk into the venue, what was happening outside, what's been happening in your life doesn't doesn't mm. exist anymore. It's in the background, it's a shadow and it's kind of like an opaque or whatever the, the terminology is, mm -hmm. a, sh a shade of its former self. And the sound and the experience and the vision of what, like, what you're going through in the venue is is like another world, basically. It's like another plane of existence. Yeah. And that's where Flux Pavilion lives. So obviously, needless to say, a huge amount of planning goes into every aspect of your live shows. Yeah. When you're writing tracks now do you think of them in terms of how they're going to translate live uh emotionally mm -hmm. i do i guess a lot of what i work on in the studio is just like weird a garbled mess mm -hmm. it's a garbled mess that makes me feel a certain way so it's translating how can i make this mess an actual palatable thing then how can i take that and make that uh, sort of translate the experience to live kind of thing so yeah there's no there's never any actual thoughts where I'm like, oh, this might be nice on guitar. Yeah. It's more just like, ah, uh, it doesn't feel warm enough. Like, oh, I feel, I feel like I'm not on a hill now, but I need to be on a hill for this bit, which is quite strange. And then, yeah, have to translate that into a live setting. Well, that's an amazing way to think about songwriting. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's kind of the way that I've always sort of written, like written sort of visually and with feeling and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Too many people use their ears, I think. Mm. They're trying to find inspiration with their ears and they're trying to find a sound. But I just kind of found that I get inspired by moments and by feelings, trying to recreate that feeling. And if the thing you're trying to recreate isn't audible, your song can sound however you want it to. Mm. If you're capturing that feeling, if it's authentic to you, then it kind of gives you complete freedom to write whatever music you want to write because you're being inspired by something that's more than sound, I guess. I love that. Cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us. No worries. Flux Pavilion, I'm going to let you escape back to the rehearsal room now. That's all good, yeah. Finish off making some magic. Good to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Thank you very much. This is Adventures in Sound at the Premises Studios. Thanks so much to Flux Pavilion. Great to hear about his unique take on writing music as well as his crazy live setup. I'm Anne Frankenstein and you've been listening to Adventures in Sound at the Premises Studios. If you like what you've heard, please head to foldedwing.co.uk for more info. Don't forget to tune in next time. We'll be talking all about the relationship between food and music and exploring the legendary cafe here at the Premises Studios. And don't forget to subscribe and to leave a review if you like what you've heard. You're listening to Adventures in Sound. Adventures in Sound.